Welcome to the Baseline Community Church Podcast. Luke 2, 1 through 7. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth to Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. It's a really well-known part of the Christmas story. It's, it's really, it causes you probably to feel really comfortable and even in a sense of warmth in that, that, those seven verses. Uh, just a little bit about that. Um, Caesar Augustus was the first really Roman emperor of his time, and um, he was the, considered the greatest. He ruled for 57 years, and his, there was great peace in the empire while he was the uh, emperor. Um, but he called for a census. The reason you called for a census was because you wanted to count the people for a couple reasons. One, to make sure how large your army could be. And two, to make sure you got the taxes that you wanted. And those were the reasons that you would have a census. And But uh, Joseph, being in Nazareth, had to make the trip down to Bethlehem because that's where his family was from. And it was about a 90-mile journey. Uh, Nazareth is in the north. It's about 1,200 feet in elevation. You would start down. Mary and Joseph started their way down. They would get down to near Jericho, which was 800 feet below sea level. And then the last 15 miles up towards Jerusalem and Bethlehem, you gained elevation of 3,200 feet. This was anything but an easy journey. And I think in our picture of what this is like, we typically have Mary riding on a donkey, but there's no mention of a donkey in this. I think we think that because we just cannot imagine or fathom a woman who is about to give birth to make that 90-mile journey down and back up and all that. So it was a very, very difficult journey. And then when they get to Bethlehem, as we know, there's no room for them in the end. No room. And Jesus is born in a stable. And that phrase has stuck with me, maybe most Christmases, I guess, that there's no room in the inn. And I have to ask myself here in this Christmas, uh, 2021, is, is there room for Jesus in my own heart? Is there really enough room for him? Henry Nowen, who uh, is a great writer, um, one of his first books is this book called Making All Things New. He wrote it about 40 years ago, and he was looking at life back then in the early 80s and said, there's a couple things to describe what life was like. The first uh, word he used is, life is filled. Here's how what he says. He says, one of the most obvious characteristics of our daily lives is that we are busy. Our lives often seem like overpacked suitcases bursting at the seams. Right? There's just so much to do, so many things to do at work or at home or in the Christmas time, the holidays just kind of amplify that a bunch and make us even times busier. But the other thing he said was not only are we filled, 
but we are preoccupied. He defines that to be preoccupied means to fill our time and place long before we are there. That we are thinking about things before we ever get there. It's all the questions, the if questions. And there's lots of if questions that can fill our minds today, right? If, what if I get COVID? What if I lose a job? What if my kids aren't doing well? What if my parents need me? There's lots of things that can fill our lives and preoccupy us so that we are not really present where we need to be. For now, and the, um, oh, and then the other thing that I thought of, he wrote this 40 years ago, and that's what he was saying. That's before, um, you know, that's before the internet. It's before personal computers. It's before the iPad. It's before smartphones. It's before uh, YouTube. It's before TikTok. It's before Twitter. It's before all, and all those things just can fill our lives so much. For him, the solution was um, two things. One was solitude and one was community that you would take enough time to get away from all the noise, to be quiet, to listen to the voice of God in your life, in solitude. And then when you were in community, you would be with one another, and you would experience the Jesus that is between you and the other person. And that those two things, solitude and community, are what cause us to center our lives on Jesus and to create space for him. And again, I ask myself, what's the condition of my own heart on this Christmas Eve? And the good news is this, it's not too late. That we can still, even in the midst of this service, even in the midst of the time you'll have with family tonight and tomorrow, you can still find time to put things aside and open up your heart to experience the voice of Jesus in your life. You can still find time in the time with family or friends to where you really experience Jesus between one another. It's not too late. Jesus in um, Revelation says this, this incredible, incredible invitation. I'm here. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and I will eat with them and they will eat with me. What a beautiful invitation. So my hope and my prayer for us is that we will hear the voice of Jesus and the knock of Jesus on our hearts and that there would be room for him this Christmas season. We're about to sing one of the great Christmas carols of the time, Joy to the World. And and the first, it starts out, right? With joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And man, I hope as we sing that tonight that that could even be a prayer. Lord, prepare my heart for Jesus. May there be room for him. We're going to continue reading in the Gospel of Luke, uh, continuing in verses 8 to 19. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, 
Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. It's always a little difficult to follow the British accent, right? <laughs> Sounds so eloquent. So the angels and the shepherds. Uh, when I first sat with the passage, when Ken asked me to speak on this section, I kind of thought, oh, I don't know, who do I identify with? I'd like to think people thought of me as an angel. <laughs> Ask my family, you might not quite get the same response, right? But the shepherds, on the other hand, the shepherds in their utter humanity, their, uh, their position in life, their work nature, their, their role in the world, that I can identify with, right? Th this idea of, of, of a shepherd, someone who goes about their business and does what is asked of them. And we're told in the story that, that Andrew just read that they were completely surprised and terrified. Can you think of the last time you were completely surprised when you were so caught off guard that you had no idea that this thing was gonna happen? What was that like? I think of the shepherds, dead of night, still silence, probably dozing, someone keeping watch over the sheep, right? Not anticipating danger, stillness. And suddenly their night is disrupted so profoundly. Big, giant ways, right? Suddenly voices from heaven and the night sky lights up. An angel of the Lord appears. Paul's right there, right? An angel of the Lord appeared in the sky. That would be enough to bowl me over. And then there's this illumination of thousands of heavenly beings saying glory to God in the highest. Naturally, you might not be surprised, right? We're told they were terrified. They were beyond scared. I, I, that I can understand too, right? This idea of being really afraid when something unexpected happens. So the question, the first question for me is, how do we respond when God surprises us? What's our initial reaction? When your every day is interrupted by God, maybe not quite with the heavenly host, right? We might not get that, that actual experience, but God surprises us all the time. So how do we respond when, when God does that? When God turns up, what do you do? I, I kind of spent some time reflecting on thought, what, did I, what have I done? When has God surprised me? What, what have I done with that? And the, the first thing that came to mind and the most profound thing that came to mind um, was when we were called to move to England. This is going back. We had a brand new baby. My six foot four son was only six months old. 
not quite six months old. So we're, we're going back a few years, but, but this, this idea of taking my brand new baby, moving to a foreign country, well, foreign country for me, um, and to a whole new world where we really didn't know many people. I was terrified, right? This was, this was a really big deal. But the call to go was compelling and clear. We knew that's what we were supposed to do. The question became, what will we do? God had surprised us. Now what would we do? So if we think about the shepherds, what did the shepherds do? Well, their response to the angelic message was belief. They believed what the angel said. And we know they believed because they acted. They got up in the middle of the night and they did what the angel told them to do. They went and found the baby and they worshiped him. They did something about the message they received. God showed up and surprised them and they acted on it. They went and found Jesus, they worshiped him, and then they told others what they had seen. They became the first evangelists. So for us, if you're familiar with, with the Barton story, we moved to England. Um, despite my fear and hesitation, God showed up. Why am I surprised, right? Um, he provided an experience that I, I wouldn't trade those years for anything when I look back on them now. Um, God knew what he was doing. So, so when he surprised me, despite my fear, God showed up and had something for us. So our belief needs to lead to action. So second question is, how will you show what you believe? When God speaks to you, whatever that looks like, however he turns up, when he surprises you, what action will you take? Will you, will you show what you believe like the shepherds did? You know, as believers, shouldn't we expect God to show up at the unexpected? We should be ready for him to show himself in surprising ways. He tells us he will. He promises us he will. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He promises to be with us. So of course he's going to show up. So let us be people of belief, people who worship, and then people who act on those beliefs, looking for God in each moment. Our final scripture of the evening will be read to us by my daughter, Kennedy Zell, and this time will be in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been, who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the children, the child with his mother, Mary, 
and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Well, I find this one of the more fascinating elements of the Christmas story. I remember as a kid in the church that I grew up uh, in, we would put on a Christmas pageant every year um, and act out the Christmas story. And um, I always just thought the wise men were like the coolest part of the story. Right. They, they got to wear the coolest clothes. Right. They got to hold, you know, the gold and the frankincense and the myrrh and bring that to the baby Jesus. And and partly it was because I was younger and they only let the wise men, only the older kids could be the wise men. Right. So I just thought someday. Right. Someday I will get to be um, a wise man. Now, uh, there's so many elements to this story. Um and, you know, in the pageant, right, the, the wise men come and they lay their, their, their gifts. They followed a star in the heavens. There's three of them bearing these gifts. They lay them at the feet of baby Jesus. And um, I have now since come to understand that pretty much none of that is accurate to the biblical story. <laughs> Right? If you read it closely, it's like there's no mention of three. There, you know, it's not the day of, that Jesus was born. It was sometime much later that they came, right? And, there, you know, there's all this political intrigue. Following the star was not as easy as it sounds. All that kind of stuff was going on there. But at the heart of the story, the heart of the story is verse 11, where it says this, On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. In the presence of the king of the Jews, following that star, they rejoiced when they finally came to the place where Jesus was. Their response was to bow down and worship and offer these gifts of tremendous value. Now, my role in the Christmas pageant for a few years, I was probably about six or seven, did it for a few years, is we had an element in the pageant where uh, uh, we sang in the bleak midwinter. It's not necessarily the most popular Christmas hymn, uh, but there was the role that I played. I played this little peasant boy dressed in rags, bare feet, and I would... I would walk down the, the center aisle to the front of the church, and then I would sing a solo, which I will not sing tonight, just so you know, okay? Well, I was singing this verse, and it goes like this. It says, what can I give him, poor as I am? If I were a shepherd, I would bring a lamb. If I were a wise man, I would do my part. Yet what I can I give him. I'll give my heart. I can still remember that. Like that song made such an impression on me as a seven-year-old. I sort of grasped the truth of it that even when you don't have much, that the most valuable thing that you can give to Jesus as an act of worship is your heart, is yourself. But if I'm honest... As a middle-aged man, as a kid, I was inspired by that. Yeah, I want to give my heart to Jesus. But as a middle-aged man, it feels a little more complicated. Because my heart isn't as pristine and shiny and impressive as I want it to be. 
It sounds great to give your heart to Jesus. But what if your heart isn't that great? Let's just run with this image for a moment of presenting your heart as a gift to Jesus. I imagine presenting my heart as a gift to Jesus and he, he opens the box up and there it is and he pulls it out and the first thing he notices is it's, that it's kind of scratched up. There's some lines and scratches of impatience and anxiety. It's got some dents in it. Dents brought on by envy and judgmentalism. There's some cracks in it too. Cracks that have been born from grief and pain and brokenness. And if you examined it more closely, you would see even deeper flaws than that. Imagine Jesus opening that gift. It's like that, that old tradition uh, where uh, a child brings an apple to their teacher right, to express their appreciation. And, you know, you want to bring the best, shiniest, freshest apple there is, but can you imagine bringing an apple that's kind of wrinkled and bruised and mushy? That's what I imagine it would be like, me bringing my heart to Jesus. And maybe you identify with that as well. Here you go, Jesus. Merry Christmas. Here's my heart with this big label on it that says damaged goods. What would Jesus do with that? Would he give that reaction that we give when we get a gift that we're like, I don't really like this, right? Oh, this is great, right? Would he think, man, how do I return this? Okay, right? But see, here's the thing about Jesus. And this, my friends, is the true wonder of Christmas. This King Jesus that we've been hearing so much about this Advent season, damaged goods, messy hearts, they're his favorite kind of gift. Jesus's heart, his heart delights in broken and cracked and bruised hearts because he is so good at restoring them, renewing them, healing them, transforming them. It's actually why he came. It's why he came that we would bring our hearts to him just as they are with all of their dents and their scratches. And when we do that, he receives it as worship, as his favorite gift. Author Dane Ortland uh, has this quote that I love. He says, Jesus does not get flustered and frustrated when we come to him for fresh forgiveness, for renewed pardon, with distress and need and emptiness. That's the whole point. It's what he came to heal. He went down into the horror of death and plunged through to the other side in order to provide a limitless supply of mercy and peace and grace to his people. And so it's good and right that we sing joy to the world 
The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Because the king of the earth who has come, he receives you and me and our hearts just as we are so that we might be made whole. And that is something to sing about. Thank you for joining us. For more information about Baseline Community Church, please go to BaselineCC.com.